Hello? Anybody home? Today, I want you to open your mind. I've almost come to the conclusion that the story is so damning that the mass of people can't deal with it. We are in process of developing a whole series of techniques to get people actually to love their servitude. We face a hostile ideology, global in scope, atheistic in character, ruthless in purpose and insidious in method. Well, we are opposed around the world by a monolithic and ruthless conspiracy that relies primarily on covet means for expanding its sphere of influence. To change the minds and the attitudes and the beliefs of the people of the world, and especially the United States, to bring about one world socialist totalitarian government. The potential for the disastrous rise of misplaced power exists and will persist. It has patterned itself after every dictator who has ever planted the ripping imprint of a boot on the pages of history since the beginning of time. If you can get people to consent to the state of affairs in which they are living, then you have a much more easily controllable society than you would if you were relying wholly on clubs and firing squads and concentration camps. Tools of conquest do not necessarily come with bombs and explosions and fallout. There are weapons that are simply thoughts attitudes, prejudices, to be found only in the minds of men. The military-industrial complex not only controls our government, but they control our culture. As you connect the dots between different people, organizations, places, religions, history, suddenly the picture starts to form. If you don't connect the dots, it's just a mass of what's all this about. The kingdom of God is within man, not one man, nor a group of men, but in all men, in you, you the people have the Power, to make this life free and beautiful, to make this life a wonderful adventure. Someone born in the United States is not more special than someone born in Mexico. Someone who is white is not more special than someone who is black. They're just vehicles for the consciousness to experience. Brutes have risen to power, but they lie. They do not fulfill their promise. They never will. Dictators free themselves, but they enslave the people. War is peace. Freedom is slavery. Ignorance is strength. They do not want your children to be educated. They do not want you to think too much. It was learned that the aliens had been and were then manipulating masses of people through secret societies, witchcraft, magic, the occult, and religion. They reach into our children in music, television, books. Pray on children's innocence. How can I disprove lies that are stamped with an official seal? So if you have the opportunity to stand next to one of these machines, it feels like an altar to an alien god. The Army Air Forces has announced that a flying disc has been found and is now in the possession of the Army. You can deny all the things I've seen, all the things I've discovered, but not for much longer, because too many others know what's happening out there. And no one, no government agency has jurisdiction over the truth. Any state, any entity, any ideology that fails to recognize the worth, the dignity, the rights of man, that state is obsolete. A case to be filed under M for Mankind in the Twilight Zone. It's about time some of you got acquainted with the real hard truth. Freedom is the privilege to be right. Freedom from the disasters of our mistakes. It's the heart that says, I will not acquiesce. Across the gulf of space, intellects vast and cool and unsympathetic regarded our planet with envious.
his eyes. Each of us, when separated, is always looking for our other half. And the desire and the pursuit of the whole is called love. Heart perception will change everything. Welcome to the Secret Teachings Radio Broadcast. I'm your host, Ryan Gable. Thank you so much for joining us this morning, this afternoon, tonight, whenever and wherever you are listening around the world. In the Secret Teachings Archive on the many radio and podcast players or on our website, the free Secret Teachings Archive there. Special thank you and welcome to those of you listening in the ad-free archive at thesecretteachings.info. It's because of your support and those of you who purchase our books that we're able to stay on air five nights a week, Monday through Friday here on The Fringe FM. If you'd like to contact the show, rdgable at yahoo.com or social media, facebook.com forward slash The Secret Teachings. There's also Gab and Gitter and Patreon for behind the scenes videos and content. I'm trying to get better about updating Patreon with videos in particular, but you can contact us on there as well. Another way to support the show, that's The Secret Teachings on Patreon. There's also a link on our website to go directly to Patreon to find our page. Pro One Water Filters, our affiliate sponsor on the website, that's Pro One Water Filters. There's a link to their website through our website at the top of the page in the slider bar. Click on that and it will take you to their website. You can see what kind of things they have available for purchase. And when you grab something from Pro One, we get a small percentage of that as well. So last night we were discussing Putin or Ross Putin. And for the last couple of weeks, we've been heavily focused on the esoteric and the occult. Some might say the paranormal We've been focusing heavily on archetypes and myths, demonology, Armageddon, the apocalypse, the Bible, theology, philosophy. And tonight I wanted to tap the brakes and go in a different direction, especially because tomorrow we're going to be talking about Heaven's Gate and social contagion. And that's not a disease, that is a state of mind that spreads like a disease. We're going to talk about cults a little bit tomorrow night. Tonight, we're going to talk about something that for years and years and years, we've discussed on this show. I wrote an entire book where I discussed the idea of the use of technology, which of course is beneficial, immensely beneficial. But the dangers of technology and what some forms of technology can unfortunately do to us as individuals and do to our society. Too much technology. It's good that we have cell phones. It's good that we have an internet to instantaneously communicate to people all over the world. Cell phones to communicate to our friends and our family. I have this microphone, this mixing board, this computer. It allows me to produce this radio show. It allows me to email. It allows me to contact or publish or promote things on 
social media. It allows me to do research. Although I'm a physical book kind of guy, I can go online and I can find pretty much anything, any time of the day or night. We have a lot of information at our fingertips. But information can also overwhelm us. And that's the downside to having access to so much information. That's why I think balance is a very important key component of everything that we do. And that's not a new idea. That's probably one of the most ancient human philosophical concepts that man has ever developed. It's the idea of balance between opposing, opposing forces, the yin and the yang, the light and darkness of uh, Zarathustrianism. These things are important because if we don't have balance, of course, we get no technology. We're stagnant. We die. And without balance, we can also have too much technology. We can be too absorbed in the black mirrors of our computers and our cell phones. We can be too absorbed in the digital environment. I don't know if you remember, but back in January of this year, the USDA initiated a new labeling process for genetically modified foods. It goes into effect on January 1st, 2022, so it's in effect now. Companies that were labeling their foods as containing genetically engineered ingredients are going to have to label them genetically modified organisms or bioengineered. They'll also come with a phone number, depending on how they label them. They'll have a phone number or a QR code that will guide consumers to more information online. Here's another example of technology. Personally, I hate QR codes. I do not like QR codes. That's a personal thing. I hate (laughs) QR codes. I don't like them. I hate when people tell me, scan this QR code, it'll take you to the information. No, I just want the information. Give me the information directly. I don't want to have to go hunt for it. I don't want to have to go find it. And I understand, you know, sometimes you get a book and there's so many references in the book. Now there's a QR code the scan that takes you to a website that gives you the references. I understand that. I get that. But I don't like having to you know, scan a code to be taken to a website to see what the ingredients are in this processed food that I'm buying. So personally, I would make the choice, and it is a choice, to not purchase that product as a result. Some people would decide to purchase it regardless because they don't have the time to scan the code They don't particularly care, and that's, I think, what a lot of companies count on. They know that it doesn't matter if genetically modified foods are safe. What matters is what the customer thinks about them. So if the customer is afraid of them, they're not going to buy them, regardless of how safe they are. And companies know that. That's why companies have invested millions, even hundreds of millions, in fighting legislation to label these products. And now we have a new USDA law requiring genetically engineered ingredients to be labeled as such 
genetically modified organisms or bioengineered or come with a phone number or QR code to take you to new information about these GM products. I'm guessing it's on the company website of whatever the company is. You know, for example, I, I don't know if Kraft does this, but you know, it takes you to Kraft's website and it shows you what's in that macaroni and cheese. It's, that's just an example, though. I don't know if Kraft macaroni and cheese uh, contains GMO. But again, you know, for some people, that's a good thing. For some people, that's beneficial. I think I have a, I have a moral issue with people in our society so willingly trusting in companies to tell them what's true when companies, and I would imagine a lot of these companies that are having to label their products based on this new uh, labeling uh, 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 policy from the USDA, they're the same ones that have fought against labeling. They're the same ones that they don't want their customers to know what's in the products, which is really interesting because you go back 100 years and the, the development of uh, American staples that we know, like companies, products, from Hershey's chocolate to, yeah, even even Kraft, you know, even the, the, the cheese that we uh, go to the store and we, we uh, kind of take for granted virtually everything that we buy at the grocery store. A uh, hundred years ago, it was just whatever the market had. It was whatever the, the little store had. You know, usually big barrels of, of food that you dug out of and you get down to the bottom, you get the bottom of the barrel, there's, you know, insects and maggots and it's it's not really a good thing. And the meat that you bought a hundred years ago used to usually be spoiled and and uh, you know, even today they still spray it with nitrates and things to make it look, you know, more red, more more healthy than it really is. But even a little bit of brown meat today is far better than the kinds of things that you would get a hundred years ago. But these companies like Hershey and Kraft and, I mean, you think of one, name it. I mean, even Lay's and, uh, you know, cereal companies like Kellogg's. Uh, I mean, Kellogg's cereal was developed uh, as a, basically as a health tonic. It was developed as a healthy uh, uh, thing that patients were eating. Um, I mean, Kellogg was a doctor. And, uh, you know, these products like Hershey, I mean, th- these companies, they were good companies. Even McDonald's, the McDonald's, the original McDonald's brothers, they tried to get their meat locally. They tried to use fresh vegetables. I mean, even the 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 the, uh, the Hershey company, uh, they paid their employees very very well. They um they looked for uh, this isn't the appropriate word to use, but they looked for clean ingredients. And my fiance hopes she hates that word "clean" in relation to food, and 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 I get it. I don't I don't particularly like it either. But they looked for ingredients that were simple. Let's put it that way. They looked for ingredients that were simple. They looked for ingredients that were, in some cases, even healthy. I mean, even Coca Cola and Pepsi were created uh, as as health tonics as well. And all of that's changed with new technology with distributing uh, the product to other places around the world. You know, they need it to be preserved longer. You know, a lot of things have changed. But originally, a lot of products were developed with good intentions. And I'm not saying companies don't have good intentions, but there's a difference between Coca-Cola being a product developed to help people and now 
a product that is contributing in large part to, yeah, diabetes, but obesity and other health-related problems. When you combine that product with numerous other products, processed foods, et cetera, that people consume, you're going to get a lot of sick people. And that's what we find a lot of very, very sick people physically. We also know that those of us who are on our cell phones tend to be more depressed. We know that kids or teenagers that use cell phones tend to be more depressed, more suicidal, more confused, more oblivious. Adults, too, to what's going on around them. They, they, they might think they know because they get their news alerts. They might think they know because they have TikTok or Instagram, but they're usually very uninformed. They're usually very unaware, and they're usually really, really confused and depressed. And again, very, very suicidal. And that's one of the ways in which these social contagions that we're going to talk about tomorrow can spread. So whether it's food and beverage or it's cell phones and tablets and computers, there's immense benefit to new technologies, but there's also immense downside. And we have to acknowledge the downside. We have to figure out what the balance is. And for every single person, every one of you listening, it's going to be a little bit different for all of you. It's going to be a little bit different. But beyond that, beyond the the labeling, beyond the awareness, beyond the balance, there are other things that we have to think about in regards to food. An article from Big Think on March 11th, 2022 said, Edible Electronics, When Will We Be Eating Technology? They're talking about edible electronics, mostly for medical purposes. Electronic devices composed of digestible materials that gradually break down in the body over a matter of days could precisely deliver medication inside the body and measure drug uptake. They could monitor symptoms of gastrointestinal disorders and the gut microbiome. They could allow doctors to remotely observe patients' internal health without a visit to the hospital. Further enhancing the telehealth revolution and allowing more people access to health care. Yes, there's another thing. Telehealth, it allows more access to health care. But it also removes the human element in healthcare. It makes humans less human. It digitizes them. Doctors are not so personal. And that can be a problem, both with diagnosis and with the general concern that a doctor might have for their patients. People might say, well, you're suggesting that because doctors are using telehealth, they don't care about their patients. No, I'm saying that disconnecting the doctor physically from the patient can potentially be a very, very big problem. But nevertheless, we have edible electronics. Now, these are things that I wrote about in my book, The Technological Elixir. And just like we discussed earlier this week, the genetically modified mosquitoes that have been released in the Cayman Islands and in Brazil and in Florida, and now we're being told they're going to be released in Florida and California as if it's the first time. Those mosquitoes developed by Oxitec, funded by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. We know Bill Gates wanted to use mosquitoes to deliver vaccines. So, yes, that has me a little bit concerned. They want to use genetically modified mosquitoes to inject you with a vaccine. And then Bill Gates funds genetically modified mosquito research 
More recently, in 2008, they were funding research in Japan to develop vaccine-carrying mosquitoes. That is a real thing. So that has me a little bit concerned, especially when the media doesn't tell us, oh, they were doing this years ago. This is not a new thing. This is an old thing, and they're continuing to carry out these experiments. And every time they tell you about them, it's, well, we're going to do it in the future. No, they already did it. So what about these edible electronics? What can this tell us about the state of not only technology, but the state of food? What does this mean? I mean, what, what about people that have uh, sensitivities to certain metals, for example? I mean, a, a nickel allergy is a very common allergy. I don't think they're using a lot of nickel in these edible electronics, but at the moment, they're using manganese, magnesium, silicon, and copper. And for some people, you know, these might be intolerable, uh, more or less intolerable. Scientists are looking into biodegradable polymers like silk fibron, pea protein and apple extract, as well as caramelized sugar um, to contain the electronic materials in these edible electronics. They're looking to DNA and different kinds of proteins and pigments and dyes being explored for use as semiconductors. And silicone is also being considered uh, as a semiconductor. But they say they would have to um, integrate it in uh, very minuscule amounts if the systems that were going to be edible electronics were to work. They'd also have to develop microscopic lithium batteries uh, or other forms of batteries that have non-toxic chemicals in them, uh, non-toxic chemicals for electrodes, etc. Christopher Bettinger, a professor of biomedical engineering at Carnegie Mellon University, built a prototype battery for these edible electronics. It featured, quote, a cathode made of melanin, a pigment that colors hair and skin, and an anode made of manganese oxide, a form of mineral that plays a role in nerve function, end quote. Edible electronics are also going to have to relay information outside of the body. You might have been wondering, why would we eat electronics? Well, because there are ways in which if you consume these edible electronics, they can go into the stomach and they can transmit a signal. I'm surprised in this article from Big Think, they didn't mention the fact that the battery could be powered by the stomach acid and it could send signals outside of the body to a patch or an app or kind of like a cell phone signal to a tower. And that could inform your doctor, for example, whether you've taken your medication, whether you've taken your pills. And this could be greatly beneficial for the elderly if they forget to take their pills then the doctor can phone them and say, excuse me, Ethel, you haven't taken your blood pressure medication today. You might want to get get on that, you know. And, and this is the thing. When I, when I first read about this, because once again, just like the mosquitoes, this is not a new thing. I literally have a section in my book, The Technological Elixir, about this. And some of these articles go back four, five, six, seven, eight years. Some of these stories go back almost a decade. So this is not new technology. This is an old thing that, that's being recycled, and they're developing new ways of, of creating these uh, edible electronics. And um, the reasoning for it is, just like when I first read about this years ago, it said, I read some article, and it said, and this is in my book too, but it said that the 
the technology could be used to help make sure that elderly people take their medication. And I thought, okay, I mean, I get the idea, I get the concept, you know, Ethel's 87 years old, and uh, sometimes she forgets to take her meds. So if the doctor doesn't receive a signal on the app, you know, doesn't receive a notification that Ethel took the drugs, they can call her. Or maybe Ethel, she tripped, she fell, she can't get up. Now the doctor realizes she didn't take her drug, she's not responding, let's send paramedics over to Ethel's house. She could have passed away. So this is beneficial. They always go with the elderly people. Or in the case of Elon Musk's Neuralink, it was, we want to help paraplegics be able to use the computer. How many paraplegics do you know? Why are they investing millions of dollars, billions of dollars to help paraplegics? Do you think that money could be spent somewhere else? And if the technology could be used beneficially for people that weren't paraplegic, why focus on the very small number of paraplegic people? Why always focus on the 80-something-year-old grandma or grandpa who might fall, break their hip, can't get up, and the doctor realizes because they didn't take their drugs and they didn't respond to phone calls, something might be wrong. I mean, a lot of elderly people take drugs, but what happens when this technology is then shifted into younger generations? And you know how in Australia you have to have that photograph or that video notification on your on your phone when you're on lockdown, quarantine, right? And you gotta you gotta make sure that you respond to the government's request to show your face, to show proof that you're in your house, that you're quarantining. You have to have the phone. You have to show the proof, right? They're doing that in Australia. They've done it for like a year and a half in Australia. It's not everywhere, but it's like a beta test. Well, what happens when you don't take your drugs? Same exact thing. It's like that movie Equilibrium. They're going to make sure you take your drugs. It's just a very dangerous precedent. I mean, this is what sci-fi movies warn about. I'm not here to be an alarmist. I'm here to take you through what edible food really means It is robot for thought. You are what you beep. The FDA approved also a sensor that digitally tracks patients and whether they've ingested their medication. So, and that was in 2017. This is, this is older stuff. This isn't new stuff. We're going to talk about all the details of it tonight here on the secret teachings, including bio stamps and electronic tattoos, what all of this means and how it can relate also to the social credit score and the vaccine or so-called vaccine passport. I'm Ryan Gable. This is The Secret Teachings. More after this. Stay with us. It's The Secret Teachings Radio, one of the homes of the original Super Bowl analysis, exclusively airing on KTLK Digital Broadcasting, The Fringe FM. The Secret Teachings is finally available on nearly every podcast platform, from Apple to Spotify and Podcast Addict. Also available is The Secret Teachings Weekends, our one-hour Saturday morning show. Search the name and start listening today for free. But if you want to avoid those annoying ads, head on over to thesecretteachings.info and subscribe to the ad-free archive. It's got old shows, new shows, and you can also download Ryan's digital books. Subscribe today. What are you waiting for? The end of the world? If you enjoy The Secret Teachings and want to hold years of my research in your hands, visit our website and grab physical and digital copies of my books. 
Occult Arcana will introduce you to sacred myths, folklore, magic, theology, and alchemy. The technological elixir will take you from transhumanism and AI to black goo and UFOs. And food philosophy might just change your mind about what we call food, germ theory, and geoengineering. Remember, shipping is always included with the books. Visit www.thesecretteachings.info and get your copy today. The Secret Teachings is now on Gab and Getter. Search Ryan Gable on both to find the show or stick with The Secret Teachings in the Metaverse. This is Michael Strange from Troubled Minds. Did you hear that scientists recently discovered radio waves coming from Proxima Centauri? Well, I cannot confirm nor deny we are broadcasting from that neck of the woods. You are listening to KTLK, The Fringe FM. Are you intrigued by Paranormal Talk Radio? You'll love the new Paranormal Radio app from TalkStream Live. You'll find a great selection of talk shows covering UFOs, ghosts, strange phenomena, and much more. Download the Paranormal Radio app now and start listening to the very best in paranormal talk entertainment, including the network you're listening to right now. The Paranormal Radio app, free in Google Play and the iOS App Store. Hello, folks. This is Jordan Maxwell. My website is jordanmaxwellshow.com, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings with your host, Ryan Gable. Do you have everything you need to explore The Secret Teachings? I've got my secret socks on and my secret TV and my secret TV channel. Looks like SpongeBob's ready. Are you? Hey, this is Charlie Robinson, and you are listening to The Secret Teachings with Ryan Gable. This is David Icke from DavidIcke.com, author of The Phantom Self and The Perception Deception, and you are listening to The Secret Teachings with Ryan Gable. Like most of you, I have a moral issue with being tracked and monitored. I am not a prisoner. I am not a criminal. Although some might like to suggest that having an open mind and believing or thinking certain things is criminal behavior. I'm not a criminal. I've not been charged with anything. There should be no suspicion that would allow an individual to think that they have a right to access my private personal life, listen to what I say, read what I write, etc., unless it's in a book that I'm selling or in a promo for this radio show, or you're listening to my innermost thoughts here on The Secret Teachings. But I don't want to be tracked. I don't want to be traced. I don't want to be monitored 24 hours a day. Most of you, whether you have a cell phone or maybe you have an Xbox with that Connect system or you have a camera on your computer, we know that if you don't cover those cameras up, if you don't put the cell phone out of range, you're going to be watched. You're going to be listened to. We're so far from denying that that is happening in our homes that it's just become common knowledge 
and part of the way we live our lives and we don't think too much about it. That's level one. Level two is what that information can be used to do. For most of us, it's just used to sell us more products. It's used to advertise specifically to us. To show us things that we were talking about last night before we went to sleep and the phones were on the dresser and we were having a conversation with our partner or whatever. And we get a notification on our phone for what we were talking about. We get an email for what we were talking about. That's what the technology is mostly being used for. But level two also provides the opportunity for companies, governments, criminals to use that technology to track and trace us, to make sure that we don't go where we're not supposed to go, to make sure that we don't leave our homes unless we're allowed to leave our homes. These were things that were confined to science fiction movies until 2020. And then people in Australia had to have a cell phone. They had to click on that notification when it came in to make sure the government knew they were quarantining, they were locked down. People were leaving their jobs to get jobs as contact tracers, calling businesses and following people, making sure that if they were exposed to someone who might have been exposed to someone else who was exposed to someone who didn't actually have any symptoms of being sick, but they tested positive, then they need to be made aware of that and they need to be traced and tracked everywhere they go. I mean, clearly it's a matter of principle. Clearly there's a moral issue. But so many of these things that we've been concerned about for years, especially on radio shows like this, came true in the last two years. The tracking, the tracing, the quarantines, the lockdowns, the mandatory ownership of a cell phone in order to do pretty much anything. I went to the gym the other day and I said, you guys have a schedule for like um, yoga and other classes. And I, I always get so irritated. I guess it's a personal thing. I get so irritated when I get this like bubbly woman who, you know, gives me that like sincere customer service smile. And she's like, oh, yeah, it's on the app. Just download the app. Sir. It's really easy and you can find the whole schedule. And then, you know, the app doesn't work for me. And I'm like, can you just give me a paper schedule? Um. We uh, um I, I we don't know how we can, I don't know if I can print that um I I don't know uh you know John can can you come over here and look can can we print this out I, I don't I, and it's just like it's so confusing because they don't know how to function without their little apps that you know for me the, the apps not, never work you know information um that I I I mean I try to access apps I try to you know log into you know my my social media accounts anything I do like there's always a technical glitch there's always a technical error so personally I don't like that stuff I just want it on a piece of paper but they don't know how to do it so that always just kind of irritates me it just it, here's the thing we have we have such a an obsession with words like progress which we associate with technology we're so obsessed with progress, 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 progress that we don't realize sometimes we're not progressing. 
sometimes we're doing the opposite. When we go so far in one direction, we come back around the other side, that is not progress. Unless our goal was to go in a circle. Yes, technology is wonderful, but I don't want to be tracked and traced. I don't want to have my personal, private conversations monitored. You could say, well, then put your phone away, turn your phone off, put it in a Faraday cage. I do that a lot of the time. Some would say that's the trade-off for having this kind of, this power, this level of technology in your hand in terms of a cell phone. Some would say cover your cameras. I do that. I guess for me, there's a little bit of, a little bit of fire inside me because for years, I've said that the cameras are watching you, the cell phones are listening to you. And if you've listened to this show for any amount of time, you'll know that, like endless other radio shows, we've warned of things like this. I've tried to do it in a way that is balanced and not aggressively uh, flamboyant, not aggressively, you know, alarmist because I want to keep things in balance here on The Secret Teachings, but for over a decade, and long long before I was alive, people were warning about this this kind of thing, because no matter how good the intention is, there's going to be somebody who's going to use the technological development, they're going to use these new gadgets and gizmos to, to, to track people, to spy on people, to harm people, to control people. So there's always that danger there. Do do the benefits outweigh the risks? For some people, they do. For some people, they don't care. They'd rather have the instantaneous access to to their phones, to to, their friends and, you know, Grubhub and Uber and just disconnecting, in a sense, from, from like human contact and connecting with machines more directly. And they tell us that's our future, that's our future, that's our future. But I, I don't think that's our future. I, I, unless we're making it our future, I, I don't think our future has to be merging with machines. Because all of this stuff is ultimately about control. Sure, a paraplegic using a computer with a neuralace, should I, should I clap? Is it, should I give a round of applause? that they're investing millions to do this. Should I give a round of applause? We're using 5G technology in a lot of cities where I don't know about you, but you know, my cell phone service is worse now. Um, A lot of people say their cell phone service is worse with 5G. Should I give a round of applause that companies spent billions of dollars so I can download something faster when it's not actually faster, which makes me think that there's a ulterior motive for developing and installing this technology? Should I give a round of applause to AT&T for selling my information? Should I give a round of applause to AT&T for telling their customers that white people are the problem, telling their staff that white people are the problem? Because that is a politically progressive thing to do. It just, all these things that we consider to be progress in some way, shape, or form are progressing, but how much of that progress is natural and organic and how much of it is now synthetic now that we have 
decades of research and application and understanding of how behavioral psychology works, how psychological warfare works, how behavior modification and, and nudging together work. I question the motivation of the companies. I question the motivations of the corporations. I question the motivations of those that have access to this information. Information is God. The more information you have, the more you are able to control the people whose information that you have. So when I read about edible electronics, that concerns me. Edible electronics are supposed to be used for medical purposes. They're supposed to transmit signals to let doctors know whether their patients have taken their medications. All seems well and fine. Problem with that is, it sounds a little bit like the movie Equilibrium. Make sure you're taking your drugs. And if you don't take your drugs, someone's going to come to your door and see what's going on. Now, maybe that's a good thing for your grandma who's 90. It's a good thing for your grandpa who's 90. You're worried about them. But at what point do we take even the life out of death or the death out of death? At what point do we stop and say, someone's 90 years old. And if they're comfortable with dying, why are we allowing companies, why are we allowing ourselves, why are we allowing society to say that's a bad thing? We have to save those people from dying. And let me clarify that. I am by no means a believer in eugenics. I'm simply saying, what point is the cutoff for acknowledging that we get old and we die and at some point, there's no way to stop that. We need to be less afraid of death and dying and to see it as a natural part of life. We already live just in the last 50 years, the last 100 years, last 200. We have literally, in the last 100 years, increased our lifespans by more than double. Throughout all of human history, people didn't live much longer than about 30 years. Now we live 72.6 years on average worldwide as of 2022. We live so much longer. We have more leisure time as a result. We're sick less of the time as a result. We might be sick more than we used to be sick, but we live so much longer, we're sick less of the time. We have more time to make more money, acquire more possessions, we're, we're wealthier for a lot of reasons. So we live a lot longer. That's an admirable thing that we've created a society through technological innovations, better access to water and food and clean water and food at that, and that we've created a, an environment in which even poor countries, developing countries are doing better. And we live so long now that we don't know what to do with our time. So we become bored, and we become fascinated and transfixed on these technologies that promise to give us everlasting life indefinitely. But through technology, the technological elixir. In 100 years, we've doubled our lifespans, but we've done that naturally. When we're told that we can live beyond 100 on average, 
200 years, 300 years. You know, what, what exactly is immortality? Eventually, you know, the universe as we know it probably won't be here. So how long is eternity? How long is infinity? At what point do we say, we're happy living 72 years? We're happy living 100 years? Where is the cutoff? When do we say we've lived long enough? That's not for me to decide. That's not for you to decide how long I live. I'm saying as an individual, where is the cutoff? Is it worth crossing that line that we take edible technology into our body, that we breathe dust-like technology into our lungs into our bodies, into our bloodstreams, technologies that are like Fitbits that attach to the organs that give real-time readouts from inside the body, smart dust, neural dust, edible electronics, and your food. When is it okay to draw a line and say, we don't need to do this. We don't need the smart dust. We don't need the edible electronics. When we die, we die. You know, it's... It's like an admirable thing. It's, it's, a, it's a good thing for people to be worried about, well, how can we help the elderly if they fall, they can't get up, they, can't, they don't have you know, the lifeline, they don't have that little button around their neck they push. If they don't take their drugs, the doctors know something's wrong, and so they can contact you know, the family or the authorities and get somebody over there to see if grandma's okay. That's a good thing, right? But that isn't going to just be grandma. That's going to be everybody. Scientists aren't investing millions and billions in edible electronics so they can help five or six old people get up from a broken hip and get to the hospital. They're not investing that money in new communications technology so you can access the internet and download a movie or stream a TV show faster. They're doing it because this is where the demand is, the money for research, and this means more power and more control. Our moral values have changed immensely in the last 50 years. So technological developments in the early 20th century that were about packaging foods and plastics and new ways of cleaning water and waste management, sanitation and hygiene, all these things were beneficial to humanity. But now we've had a change in our moral value. All of us have had a change in our moral values. One of the biggest changes is most of us don't have any anymore. We don't know what ethics are. We don't know what, 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 what it means to be virtuous or to, be, to, be, to have a moral compass. So now new forms of technological development, especially when you and myself are not engineers and we don't create this technology, there's a moral issue with using that kind of technology when we don't understand it. I think that's an issue. I think that's a problem. We don't understand it. We don't know how it was built. It's far too complex, even for people that build it to understand how this complex system works. That's a moral issue when we don't have a moral compass. And we now rely on technocrats to tell us what is right and what is wrong. 
in the process over the last hundred years, we've abandoned morality. We've abandoned God. Doesn't mean the world hasn't gotten tremendously better than it has been. The problem is our values have changed and what will another hundred years of technological development without a moral compass? There aren't many, you know, Hershey's. There aren't many crafts. There aren't many Campbell's. There aren't many Lay's. There aren't many people today that want to develop a product so that they can help humanity. They don't want to develop a product today that will revolutionize a particular industry and and to do so at relatively no cost but immense benefit. This is what all these companies, I mean, even the original McDonald's, Coca-Cola, Pepsi, these were good companies originally. And their founders did what they did. They created these things out of necessity. A free marketplace of ideas that transformed the world. But if we have a a locked-down world and we have a locked-down sense of imagination because some things aren't appropriate to think about, not only are we going to lack the ingenuity to develop into the next century, we're going to lack the moral compass that will guide us in those few developments that we do have. This, to me, is the problem. This is the issue. And we need to think about that when we hear about things like edible electronics. Edible electronics that we ingest in the body. What happens if those edible electronics are not meant to track our consumption of our medications or whether we get enough vitamin A or vitamin C? What if those edible electronics in the food that we consume with genetically modified products are tailor-made for the body. And they're only digestible to those of us who have the proverbial mark of the beast. What if genetic engineering and versions of edible electronics is the mark of the beast that if you don't have the mark you won't be able to digest the food. And maybe that mark isn't on the physical skin. Maybe that mark is a genetic marker, something that changes our DNA, that allows us to consume these new genetically engineered, electronical, edible technologies. And if we don't have that genetic marker in our body, our bodies aren't genetically altered to accept these new food-like machine-like, or food machine, machine food-like products, then we won't be able to digest the food and we die. That's something that I've thought a lot about. I wonder if you can create race and ethnic-specific bioweapons, whatever they are, synthetic biology, you could create gene-specific foods that when you ingest them, if you don't have the right genetic makeup, your body rejects the food. You can't get nourished. You starve to death. Perhaps that could be 
the mark of the beast. And it's really interesting because we hear that genetically modified foods are needed to feed the world and all this stuff. But if you find the 2019 Food Security and Nutrition in the World, UNICEF, World Food Program, World Health Organization, etc., their their document from 2019 about food security. It starts out by saying the 2030 Agenda for Sustainable Development puts forward a transformational vision, recognizing that our world is changing, bringing with it new challenges that must be overcome if we are to live in the world or live in a world without hunger, food insecurity, and malnutrition in any of its forms. Now, see, here's the problem. There's more food today at a cheaper cost than there has been at any point in the 20th century or in hundreds of years previous. We have so much food today that particularly in the United States, we throw out about 40% of our food. We have so much food, we don't know what to do with the food. We have so much wealth, we don't know what to do with the wealth. And maybe this is part of a natural cycle. We have so much wealth, so much food, so much education. We have so much information, so much free time. We don't know what to do with it. We've abandoned our moral compass in the meantime, and we're looking for new ways to fix problems that don't exist, like our ideas that we can fundamentally reshape the world as a result of climate change or a pandemic, just shut everything down and reset the whole thing. Why? It was functioning fine. Why would we shut it down and restart it? We have more food in the world today and far less people hungry and far less people in poverty. But the UN and UNICEF say we live in a world where we need to be able to basically eradicate hunger, food insecurity and malnutrition in any of its forms. I don't believe you're ever going to be able to do that. There are always going to be people in poverty. There are always going to be people that don't have access to food. There are always going to be people that are malnourished. Look at us in the United States. Look at us in the Western world. Look at us anywhere in the world where we have access to modern foods. And what do you find? Most people are malnourished. Most people in the United States, 97% don't get enough fiber in their diet. How the hell is that possible when we have so much food, we throw almost half of it in the garbage can or the compost bin? But we're still malnourished. There are places in the world today where we have this much food and we're still malnourished. We have more obese people today than we have people that are starving. I mean, that's kind of a good thing in a way, but again, it's that balance. And UNICEF and the UN, they say that we need to live in a world without these things. I mean, yes, ideally, it would be nice to live in a world where there was no poverty. It would be nice to live in a world where nobody died. But that's not reality. We, we, we've conditioned ourselves to believe that although it's an admirable thing to want to save people, to want to save the environment, to save the planet, to help people out of poverty, and ultimately, this is a utopian idea of the future. You're never going to be able to eradicate all things that offend all people. Someone's always going to be offended we're still going to die. You can't stop death. You can't stop people from being offended. And if you're attempting to do this, what you're doing is you're trying to create a utopian society, ignoring the the, the immense benefits that have come about through typical society, 
And in the process of creating this utopian society, you're going to tear down all the things that led us to be so wealthy, to be so literate, so educated, to, to, to have such a clean environment, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, that allows us to think, let's make it a utopia. You're going to destroy all those things simultaneously. Expend resources and wealth to achieve this idea of utopia where nobody is starving. Nobody is malnourished. Well, look at us in the West. We have so much food, we don't know what to do with it. We have more obesity than people who are in poverty and starving, and yet we are still malnourished. There's more to this than just simply feeding people. And I believe that this is about control. I believe edible electronics, smart dust, and neural dust, which won't be linked together by the average person, I believe, I'd assume you believe too, that this is about control. Putting little tiny things in the body that monitor your organs, monitor whether you've taken your pills like equilibrium. And what about altering your genetics so that when you consume certain kinds of foods, you won't be able to digest them unless... You have a certain gene active in your body. If your body's been transformed genetically. Kind of a sophisticated mark of the beast. Something to think about. I'm Ryan Gable. This is The Secret Teachings. Gable at yahoo.com. Thesecretteachings.info. Stay with us. We'll be back. The Secret Teachings is finally available on nearly every podcast platform from Apple and Spreaker to Spotify and Podcast Addict. Also available as TST Weekends, our one-hour Saturday morning show. Search the show name and start listening today for free. And if you want to avoid those annoying ads, visit www.thesecretteachings.info and subscribe to our ad-free archive with some of our older shows included. You'll get a private RSS feed and access to the Montage Archive and my digital books. Subscribe today or listen to the free show archive at thesecretteachings.info. If you enjoy The Secret Teachings and want to hold years of Ryan's research in your hands, grab a physical and digital copy of his books. Occult Arcana will introduce you to sacred myths, folklore, and alchemy. The technological elixir will take you from transhumanism and AI to black goo and UFOs. Food philosophy will change your mind about what we call food, germ theory, and geoengineering. Visit thesecretteachings.info. So, you love talk radio, then you'll love TalkStreamLive.com. TalkStream Live is always on, 24-7, with the best streaming talk shows. Find your favorite talkers and discover some new ones. It's free, readily available online, or on mobile with any smartphone or tablet. Finding your favorite talk shows all in one place has gotten a whole lot easier. Just go to TalkStreamLive.com. Be sure to download the free apps from Google Play or the iTunes App Store. This is Michael Strange from Troubled Minds. You are listening to KTLK, The Fringe FM. You are listening to The Secret Teachings. To contact the show, to share information and your opinion, or give recommendations, email rdgable at yahoo.com. Visit the Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash the secret teachings or visit the website at www.thesecretteachings.info 
People ask me all the time what they can do to take control of their lives when facing a daily onslaught of dis- and misinformation. I say take control of your body and mind with water filtration. Visit www.thesecretteachings.info and click on our affiliate sponsor link with Pro One Water Filters at the top of the page to search for a water filter for the home, camping trip, and even the shower. They filter countless contaminants and make a wonderful gift for friends, family, and yourself. That's Pro One Water Filters at thesecretteachings.info. You're listening to The Secret Teachings. For more information on the show or to contact Ryan, visit thesecretteachings.info or email ryan at rdgable at yahoo.com. Hey there, this is Greg Carlwood of the Higher Side Chats, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings with Ryan Gable. Welcome back to The Secret Teachings Radio. I'm your host, Ryan Gable. Thank you for joining us this morning, this afternoon, tonight, whenever and wherever you are listening around the world in The Secret Teachings Archive, on the many radio and podcast players, and in our advertisement-free archive where you can download the show, listen to the show, both without advertisements, get a private RSS feed to access the show, Get access to our montages and my digital books, all when you subscribe at thesecretteachings.info. That's dot I-N-F-O. You can also buy my books separately on the website, including the Technological Elixir, some of which we are tapping into tonight for the broadcast. Asking the question, where do we draw the line with technology? And are today's technological advancements done with the same kind of moral compass that we've had in the past? I'm not saying previous generations have been more moral. We have far less crime today than we had 100 years ago. I'm saying that in a free market of ideas and studying a little bit of history about revolutionary designs and developments in food production, and new ways to sell food and manufacture things like, for example, craft cheese, finding a shelf-stable cheese. And now we have, uh, you know, little slices of cheese wrapped in plastic. And we have, you know, Coca-Cola was originally a health tonic. And companies like uh, Lay's Potato Chip, they wanted to use, you know, uh, simple ingredients. And now because of mass manufacturing and companies that merge together in a larger market around the world. I mean, this is kind of a good thing, but as a result of that, we've had a change in those ingredients, and we've had a change in the direction of how companies handle themselves. I mean, 100 years ago, yeah, companies still merged and created conglomerates. Companies wanted to destroy the competition. But that's the business side. That's selling the product. I'm concerned about the innovation the know-how, and the concern that went into developing the product. And I'm wondering if the same level of concern for things like safety and things like whether or not this is a, a thing that the customer needs and our society needs, I wonder if those ideas go into the development of new forms of technology. If there is a, a, a moral compass of any kind, in the development of certain kinds of, of new technology. So 
you know, this is the thing that gets me is we have we have an immense amount of food in the world today. We have more food today than we had 10 years ago. We have more food today than 20 years ago. We have more food today that's cheaper than 50 years ago, despite the fact that population has more than doubled. And there are a lot of reasons for that. But the thing is, we're still malnourished. And the United Nations in their Food Security and Nutrition in the World report in 2019 said that we need to strive for a world where there is no malnutrition, where there is no food insecurity, where there is no hunger. Well, we've already done that in the last 50 years. We have far less people hungry. We have far less people that are in poverty, despite the fact that we have more and more people. We have less food insecurity, and we have, well, a lot of malnutrition, but a lot of the developing world, a lot of the third world, is more nourished today than they were 50 years ago. Now, whether the natural cycle will take us here in the West out of this mindset of we have so much food, we waste so much food, and we're still malnourished into a a, a position where we're able to, to um, conserve that food, use it more responsibly, and to acquire more knowledge so we can become better educated so that we can make uh, better decisions and therefore, you know, maybe maybe we get more fiber in our diet. Maybe we get a little less protein. We get more vitamins, more, you know, nutritious substances. Maybe that'll balance out eventually. But I, I don't like this idea of using electronics in food. I don't like this idea of using electronics in food, whether it's for nutrition or it's for medical purposes. I mean, we're pretty, we're pretty sure we know what is all right to eat and what's not all right to eat. I mean, we even have a name for the things that we consider to to not be all right. We consider them to be junk food, right? We call it junk food. We don't need anybody to tell us that vegetables and fruits are better for us. We don't need anybody to tell us that grains and nuts and seeds, legumes are better for us. But that's what we're being told now with new forms of artificial intelligence. Artificial intelligence, according to the New York Times on March 14th, can also be a nutritionist for us. Artificial intelligence can help us make better decisions when we go into the kitchen or the grocery store. The article says, after 20 years of living with type 2 diabetes, Tom Idema had given up hope of controlling his condition. He tried a lot of diets. They all proved unsuccessful. He even considered weight loss surgery. When his employer offered him a chance to try a new dietary app that uses AI to control blood sugar, he took it. Mr. Edema, 50 years old, sent in a stool sample to get his microbiome sequenced and filled out an online questionnaire with his blood sugar, height, weight, and medical conditions. That data was used to create a profile for him to which he added continued blood sugar measurements for a couple of weeks. After that, the app called Day 2, all one word, rated different foods according to how good or bad they might be for Mr. Idema's blood sugar to aid him in making better food choices. When I read that, I thought, okay, this guy's 50 years old. He's got type 2 diabetes. So he's probably had this most of his life. And if he's considering weight loss surgery, he's probably very overweight, which is going to contribute to the diabetes. So 50 years old, overweight, 320 pounds, the article tells us. Type 2 diabetes, I'm sure he's got other health conditions too, and he's tried many diets. Of course, we know diets have a built-in 
failure mechanism. If you go on a diet, you're probably going to fail. You have to go on a lifestyle and it has to be consistent. So when I read this, I thought, well, this guy's 50 years old. He's overweight. Yes, he's got diabetes. He's trying diets that are not going to work. He's considering weight loss surgery. Is it the AI that can help him? Or is it just making a conscious decision at the grocery store? The article says day two is just one of a host of apps claiming to offer AI eating solutions instead of a traditional diet, which often has a list of good and bad foods, which they just said the AI is going to list whether the food is good or bad. They say these programs are more like personal assistants that help someone quickly make healthy food choices. They are based on research showing that bodies each react differently to the same foods and the healthiest choices are likely to be unique to each individual. Yes, healthiest choices. But again, there's a utopian idea. How healthy is healthy? What is healthier? Eating a Snickers bar is not as healthy as eating an apple. But if you're allergic to apples or you're allergic to the things that are sprayed on the apples, then you might want to switch to a different fruit or a different food altogether. For me, I used to like pomegranates, but for some reason, my mouth swells up when I eat pomegranates now, just recently. So I stopped eating pomegranates, but there could have been other reasons my mouth swelled up. Maybe I'm not allergic to the pomegranate, but the point is, I just don't eat that anymore. I don't need AI to tell me that. I do understand maybe some people do need this assistance. I actually saw a guy in Sprouts grocery store the other day, a pretty tall guy, kind of big. Maybe he could have played like, you know, linebacker or something. It was a big guy, but he was very overweight. And there was this, this woman with him and, uh, she looked like she was, I don't know, like a a health coach or something. And she was showing him things to, you know, eat and things not to eat. And I was thinking, I don't like this woman's advice. She's telling me to drink like what amounts to, to soda because, you know, it's better than what he's been drinking. And then I realized, well, I guess, you know, drinking um, two or three kombuchas a day are probably better than drinking a two liter of Pepsi. Didn't say it was the best thing, but it's better. You know, going to a, a health store and eating a protein bar might not be the best thing you can do, but it's probably better than eating a Snickers bar, you know. So that's the kind of thing that we have to weigh. And I, I get, I mean, I really, really am stunned by the idea, but having seen it firsthand countless times, some people really just don't know. So, you know, that's my responsibility, your responsibility. That's the government's responsibility with the USDA. They're supposed to help people understand, all right, get the lettuce, don't get the candy bar, you know. But for some people, I guess they really don't understand that concept. So, These new AI apps are supposed to help us determine what is best to eat. I I don't like this part of the article where they're like, well, most diets just give you a list of good and bad foods. The AI apps are going to rate food based on how good or bad they might be. Maybe they're meaning just for the individual, but it's, it's literally the same thing. So now you're basically going on an AI diet. And it's all based on an algorithm. And algorithms can change. And if you don't put all the information into that app, you're not going to get the best result, which means you put in 20% of what you know. And you put in, I mean, I like the idea of the microbiome. I like the idea of, of eating things that are beneficial to that. But we have so much research and so much information on that. You don't need an AI app. You know, you, you could just read 
a little bit about this online and, and figure it out. Yeah, everybody's body's differently, so I, you know, different. So I like the idea of this. But again, this is like for me, this is an off-balanced solution to a problem that shouldn't even exist in the first place. Information and knowledge are the most important thing here. Putting it in an app and letting AI make those same decisions isn't going to solve the problem. Although there are some really basic things that might be beneficial. For example, this individual who had the diabetes, Mr. Edema, he lost some weight. He lost, and I don't know how long this has been. They didn't say how long it's been since he lost this weight. I'd imagine it has to have been at least a year. But he lost almost 100 pounds. He lost 91 pounds using the app. Actually, you know what? I lied. They do say it. It's here at the uh, top of this article. 500 days. So far more than a year. 500 days of using the app. He lost about 100 pounds. Um, I guess that's, you know, that's, that's a relatively healthy amount of time to lose that kind of weight. But again, why did he lose that weight? What else was he doing? Was he also, was the app recommending to take a walk? Is it just basically recommending what's good or bad based on, you know, your, your microbiome? It's not going to recommend eating a Snickers bar. It's always going to recommend something better than a Snickers bar. You know, I'm really hating on Snickers tonight. That used to be my favorite candy bar. But it's going to recommend something better than a candy bar. Okay, that's the point. So regardless, if it's AI or it's a doctor or it's me or it's you informing somebody of a better choice to make, they're probably going to lose weight, <laughs> you know? It's not it, it. My point is, it's not the AI as a God who helped this guy lose weight. It's common sense and it's human ingenuity and human research that went into the algorithm for the app. So rather than having to read a book on it, the AI basically says part of the algorithm, you pick up an apple, you pick up a Reese's cup. The AI's like apple. OK, you eat the apple. Well, this AI is really smart. No, the apple is clearly better than the Reese's cup. (laughs) If you're talking about health, it's not AI. It's not complicated. It's not rocket science. It's pretty much standard one plus one equals two. You know, but but I but I really do truly honestly understand to some extent that some people have a really hard time figuring out that an apple is better for you than a Reese's cup. I get that. And I don't mean that sarcastically. I really do get that. Some people really just don't know. We all have to learn things, you know. I'm still on a um, on a journey in terms of you know health. I've lost a tremendous amount of weight over the last ten years. You know, I'm I'm down to a healthy weight now. I've got like four percent, five percent body fat as a result of losing all that weight, and I just don't have like excess. People tell me I'm too skinny. Fine, whatever. But most people, on average in in this country anyway, are obese. I'd rather be a little bit skinny and be healthy than very, very obese, you know? So, which is, it is a kind of a good thing. We have a lot of obesity now because that means less people are starving, but then more people are also overweight and have more diseases and that costs more money and more people are miserable because of of the opposite end of the spectrum. Not to mention the fact that with obesity is going to, to, um, to come a lot of uh, additional problems that you don't even think about that have nothing to do with health, 
and that um, have to do more so with your your pocketbook and your wallet. You're going to experience quite a bit of of medical care and and the use of various types of drugs to to keep that under control. So the solution then, right, is to have AI make the decision for us. But these are just common sense things. I mean, these are things that on the local level, local governments should be using money to fund research or to access research, put together things and inform the public of what's better, an apple or a Reese's cup. If the AI is making this decision, it's not because the AI is so much more intelligent. It's because humans programmed it with information that anybody can access to show people like Tom Adema that an apple is better than a Reese's cup. And that's just the example I'm using. They don't mention apple or Reese's cup in this article. I like the idea of the microbiome, you know, but you can get that tested without having artificial intelligence. So then my concern furthermore would be, where's this blood sample going? Where's this microbiome sample going? Remember all those COVID swab tests? They're still jamming up people's noses today. What did we tell you at the beginning? What are they going to use those for? Genetic sequencing. What did the CDC say a couple of weeks ago? Well, they said in that stupid colloquial, I'm your friend kind of a way. You know, like when I asked the girl at the uh, the gym, I was like, hey, do you guys have like a, a yoga schedule? She's like, oh, yes, sir. If you just download the app, you can look at all the schedules on the app. And I'm like, I don't want, I don't want an app. Okay, I want a piece of paper. I want a piece of paper. If my, show, my phone shuts off, how am I going to know what the schedule is? I want a piece of paper. I want a piece of paper, you know? No matter the girl, I'm just saying like that bubbly attitude. That's how the CDC was like, hey, guys, remember those swab tests that we stuck up your nose? Well, guess what? About 10% of them have been given to foreign governments, foreign laboratories, corporations, and God knows who else. We don't really know. We just gave them out like candy on Halloween. And they have your DNA on them and they might be genetically sequencing your DNA and using it to develop new drugs and putting it into a database and, you know. But they do it with that bubbly attitude. Hey, guys, remember us, the friendly CDC? It's just like those Snapple bottles. You ever, you ever drink a Snapple and you take the top off and it's like, hey there, how are you? It's all behavioral psychology, you know? And I, I don't get mad about that. I just think it's, I think it's ridiculous. I think it's funny. But that's how the CDC, you know, in their, in their tweet, they're like, hey, guys, remember those COVID-19 tests we stuck up your nose? Well, guess what? It's not a conspiracy theory. We're using that to sequence your genetics. There's a 10% chance, really? Well, there was a 0% chance when they said it was a conspiracy theory. Now it's a 10% chance that it's real. It's likely that they're using a large majority of those things to sequence your DNA, like the Human Genome Project, the Brain Mapping Initiative, or the, uh, the, uh, the, the Fauna and Flora uh, mapping program that they have for basically mapping out all the plants and all the, the bacteria and all the insects, getting all the genetic information for those things all over the world. I just don't like that attitude. Hey guys, remember us? Hey, the the AI can be can be a beneficial thing. It can help you decide what's better for you. We don't need AI. We need to think. We need common sense. We need a a moral compass. We need ethics. We need virtues. We need things that religion provides us. We need things that our parents should have taught us. We need things that society as a whole agrees to as part of a social contract. But we've given so much of that up now that we're letting the AI do the thinking for us. 
Kind of a good idea, right? Like it's a good idea, the microbiome, but you can do that. You can get that sequence without having to, to use an AI app. And, and it's just like everything else. They just use a little example like this guy, Tom Adema. Well, he's not little. He was 320 pounds, but he lost 100 pounds almost using this app over 500 days. But then again, the app is only telling him to eat things that are common sense. I guarantee you, based on the algorithms, the app not one time mentioned, hey, Mr. Edema, I think you should go and eat McDonald's. I highly doubt the app suggested that he eats McDonald's. But then that's also the downside, right, of AI and algorithms. If you program it the right way and people are trusting in the AI, trust the science, trust the AI, then the AI, let's say if it were, let's say if Yum Brands Food sponsored this AI app. They don't. I'm just saying, what if they did? Yum Brands Foods owns like KFC. I think they own Taco Bell, Pizza Hut. So maybe the app would suggest you go get a deep dish because that's better than eating a burger at McDonald's, right? I'm not saying it is. I'm just saying what happens when we have companies sponsoring these things and writing the algorithms and then they're suggesting, well, you should drink Coke because in studies it's been proven to be better than Pepsi. You should eat this as opposed to this because this is our product. You know, when when my son was born, um, his mom went to uh, acquire, what was it like? She went, she went to see if, if she could get a wick for him. And, um, you know, the systems are so discriminatory towards men, but she goes to get the wick. I went with her, actually. It was in New York years ago, three years, three years ago. And um, you know, they gave us the list of like approved products you could buy with Wick. And I'll never forget one of them was Skippy peanut butter. And I thought, well, why is uh, Skippy peanut butter on there? Why can't I buy like, why can't I buy Jif? You know, I, not that I'm going to buy Jif. Jif is garbage too, but I was going, why, why is Skippy on there? Why is Peter Pan on there? And then, you know, you look it up, and I think Peter Pan's one of the most disgusting peanut butters you can buy. But Peter Pan peanut butter, the company, sponsors WIC. And the government gets money. So then they subsidize it, and they give you the option to choose from the companies that paid them to promote their products. And you can't buy, like, once again, for example, you have to buy the Skippy or the, the disgusting Peter Pan peanut butter. As the same thing with pretty much all the products. You can basically buy with the WIC, with the government assistance, money. You know, you get, the, get this money, like a food stamp. And you can only buy the things that the government says you can buy. And it's not because, well, well, that is taxpayer money and the government's making the best decision. No, the government's not making the best decision. The government's making a decision based on who gives them the most money, who sponsors them. And that's who they recommend you buy. It's the companies saying you should buy this product because we gave this much money to the government and they're only going to let you buy this with the program. So what happens when these companies get into the AI algorithm food business? Mr. Edema, you should not eat that cheeseburger at McDonald's. You should get a Whopper at Burger King. It has been shown to be XYZ healthy. You see the danger of this? Otherwise, we don't need this technology. We don't need to spend money on these kinds of things. We don't need these kinds of innovations. It's really simple, folks. Apple, better than peanut butter cups. 
I don't hate you if you like peanut butter cups. That used to be one of my favorite candies, too. I'm saying apple better than peanut butter cups. I don't need AI to tell me that. It's really simple. I don't need AI to tell me that. Edible electronics, though, might be a more invasive version of the AI telling us what we should or shouldn't eat. Because edible electronics might dictate that if we consume something that we're not supposed to consume, we no longer can digest it once these things are in the body. What if our genetics are altered? What if our genes, some are switched on, some are switched off, so that when we consume certain kinds of things, we can't digest them unless we have a certain gene turned on or off? I mean, this is kind of complex genetic research, but if we're creating ethnic-specific bioweapons, and that's been happening at least for 30 years, we could create a similar form of biological weapon that is your body. Your body would be used against you. You can't buy or sell. You can't get food unless you have this genetic mark. In other words, you might be able to get food. You could maybe go to the store and buy food even without a mark. But if you eat it, your body can't digest it unless you get the shot, unless you get the gene therapy that allows your body to adapt to these new genetically engineered, patented forms of food mixed with edible electronics that track your internal systems. The FDA has approved a pill with a sensor that digitally tracks if patients have ingested their medication. That's the first step to totalitarian inner body control. We're going to talk about this, nanotechnology and biostamps, in the final segment tonight, coming up in just a few minutes. Stay with us, and please leave a review if you're listening on the radio or podcast player of your choice. Leave us a couple of stars. Let us know what you think of the show www.thesecretteachings.info is our website. Stay with us. More of The Secret Teachings after this. The Secret Teachings is finally available on nearly every podcast platform from Apple and Spreaker to Spotify and Podcast Addict. Also available as TST Weekends, our one-hour Saturday morning show. Search the show name and start listening today for free. And if you want to avoid those annoying ads, visit www.thesecretteachings.info and subscribe to our ad-free archive with some of our older shows included. You'll get a private RSS feed and access to the Montage Archive and my digital books. Subscribe today or listen to the free show archive at thesecretteachings.info. If you enjoy The Secret Teachings and want to hold years of Ryan's research in your hands, grab a physical and digital copy of his books. Occult Arcana will introduce you to sacred myths, folklore, and alchemy. The technological elixir will take you from transhumanism and AI to black goo and UFOs. Food philosophy will change your mind about what we call food, germ theory, and geoengineering. Visit thesecretteachings.info. So, you love talk radio, then you'll love TalkStreamLive.com. TalkStream Live is always on, 24-7, with the best streaming talk shows. Find your favorite talkers and discover some new ones. It's free, readily available online, or on mobile with any smartphone or tablet. Finding your favorite talk shows all in one place has gotten a whole lot easier. Just go to TalkStreamLive.com. Be sure to download the free apps from Google Play or the iTunes App Store. This is Michael Strange from Troubled Minds. You are listening to KTLK, The Fringe FM. You are listening to The Secret Teachings. To contact the show, to share information and your opinion, or give recommendations, email rd 
gable at yahoo.com. Visit the Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash the secret teachings, or visit the website at www.thesecretteachings.info. People ask me all the time what they can do to take control of their lives when facing a daily onslaught of dis- and misinformation. I say take control of your body and mind with water filtration. Visit www.thesecretteachings.info and click on our affiliate sponsor link with Pro One Water Filters at the top of the page to search for a water filter for the home, camping trip, and even the shower. They filter countless contaminants and make a wonderful gift for friends, family, and yourself. That's Pro One Water Filters at thesecretteachings.info. You're listening to The Secret Teachings. For more information on the show or to contact Ryan, visit thesecretteachings.info or email ryan at rdgable at yahoo.com. Hey there, this is Greg Carlwood of the Higher Side Chats, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings with Ryan Gable. You are tuned into The Secret Teachings Radio. I'm your host, Ryan Gable. If you'd like to contact the show tonight, rdgable, rdgable at yahoo.com is the email. You can also find us on Facebook, Gab and Gitter, and on Patreon, or just visit our website, thesecretteachings.info. January 1st, 2022, this year, the USDA initiated new labeling for genetically modified foods, Previously labeled genetically engineered or genetically modified organisms, they're going to slightly adjust this labeling to bioengineered, or the foods will come on the packaging with a phone number or QR code guiding consumers to more information online. Now that's for genetically engineered products. Regardless if they're safe or not safe, people have moral issues and some people might even have, you know, morally, philosophically, religious issues with genetically modified foods. So having a label that tells us what it is, I think that's a good thing. Except part of the reason they chose bioengineered is because consumers were well aware of fear, justified or otherwise, that they had for GMOs. So they're going to call them bioengineered, right? But that's just something that's been tampered with in a lab. That's something that, again, safe or not, healthy or not, whether it's beneficial or not to genetically modify plants and have these products in our food, the public doesn't want them, then we won't have them. So that's what this labeling is all about. Public pressure, public demand. And also, there's a responsibility of regulators, I think to inform us of what's in our food, at least not the regulators, but, you know, regulators regulating the companies to inform us of what's in their food. And um, this is like, I think this is an ethical thing. This is a moral thing. And throughout human history, in the last hundred years, just here in the United States, companies that we know we know today like Kraft or even Coca-Cola, uh, even early McDonald's, Companies like Hershey's, you know, these companies originally started as these um, totally unique, uh, totally uh, different types of products. Like Coca-Cola was a health tonic, 
and uh, cheese uh, that we know from Kraft was uh, a form of uh, cheese that was packaged and shelf-stable. That was revolutionary. And products like Hershey, Hershey just wanted to use, you know, fresh local milk. Uh, Hershey wanted to use, um, you know, very fresh ingredients and things that were not uh, preservatives. Um, Same thing with McDonald's. McDonald's wanted to use local beef and local vegetables. I mean, obviously to expand and to get your product out there, you might have to use some kind of preservative. I mean, salt's a preservative and I'm not scared of salt, but the idea is, when these companies were created, when these products were created, they were revolutionary. It's not that the founders and the people that later took these companies over were, um, you know, absent of uh, some kind of, you know, moral compass. It's just that's the way that they do business. Conglomerate. You just get together with big companies. You eliminate competition. You drive everybody else into the ground. You make an immense fortune. Fortune. I'm not saying that we've lost some sense of a moral value system in the last hundred years. I'm saying I think a lot of things that we do today. We don't think of the consequences, and I think a lot of things we do today, we also don't consider that there might be a, a larger um, consequence, a larger uh, 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 negative effect, as opposed to the positive benefits of the things that are being developed now. So something like edible electronics, putting them in food, might sound like a good idea because we would know if grandma took her pill and if she didn't take her pill, the doctor didn't get a signal or you didn't get a signal on an app, grandma might be on the ground and she can't get up. Grandma might have passed away. So we think that this level of technology allows us to get into the body and to send signals out to apps and to send signals out to cell towers and let you know family and doctors know if grandma or grandpa are okay. But what's the downside? of this technology. I mean, having shelf-stable cheese or having Hershey's chocolate made with real milk or having McDonald's burgers made with uh, local beef, that's a little bit different than putting tracking devices inside of the body in the name of helping people who might not be able to uh, to get around so easily because they're they're elderly and we need to make sure they're taking their vitamins. I mean, that idea is a science fiction dystopian uh, uh, beginning, uh, if you will, or maybe I could word that better. It's it's the beginning of a scientific, uh, not science fiction, but a scientific dystopian future where if we don't take our medication, then we're going to be in really big trouble. And they'll know if we don't take our medication because there will be these little devices in the body that informs the the company or informs the government or informs some organization or some police force or whatever that we didn't take our our pills today to put us into a state of equilibrium, you know, like the movie. And if we don't take our pills, that might end up being a crime. You know, you got to stop disease. You could take your COVID pill. If you don't take your COVID pill, the machines inside your body are going to let us know and we're going to come force you to do it. Edible electronics, that's something that is still being discussed in 2022. March 11th, Big Think published an article about these edible electronics and how they could monitor symptoms of gastrointestinal disorders and gut microbiome. I mean, again, it's kind of like a good thing in a way, right? It's, it's beneficial. It could, it could help people. But 
What's the downside of it? What's the downside of electronics in your body transmitting signals? I'm assuming they can receive signals. I'm assuming that people could hack into those systems. I'm assuming that there could be glitches in those systems. Like, I'd rather rely on the natural systems that I was birthed with. I don't want some kind of electronical thing in my body. That's where I decide to draw the line. I'll use a cell phone, but I do not want something in my intestines, connected to my liver, connected to my lungs, monitoring my heart. I don't want nanites in my blood that can repair cells on a cellular level. I don't want that. That's my decision. That's my decision. It's not your decision or some corporation's decision. That's my decision. I retain bodily autonomy. I have a moral issue with it. I don't want these things in my body. Case in point. It's not always about whether it's safe or not safe or what are the dangers of it. It's I don't want them in my body. That's my decision, my choice. The New York Times is also reporting that artificial intelligence can give us important information about our nutrition. They cite the story of an individual named Tom Adema. They say he had type 2 diabetes. He tried all kinds of different diets. He even considered weight loss surgery. None of that worked until he, for 500 days over a year, tried this AI app called Day 2. And he lost about 100 pounds in 500 days. I mean, that's it's pretty good. I think that's that's the uh, amount of weight that you should be losing in that time, roughly speaking. Everybody has, you know, a different a different level of tolerance and what their body can handle. But again, this guy was 320 pounds. He had diabetes. He's 50, and he was trying a lot of diets, which have a built-in failure mechanism in them. Because you go on a diet, you're going to go off a diet. If you go on a lifestyle, it's unlikely you're going to go off that lifestyle. So this guy was overweight, severely. He was older, so he was 50. He had diabetes for 20 years, and he lost a bunch of weight, and the diabetes was not as severe, and that's all good because of the AI nutritionist. That's what the New York Times is saying. That's what this this company is saying that developed the Day 2 app. But here's the thing. The app is just going to tell you what you should and shouldn't eat based on your microbiome based on your stool sample. You can get that tested without an AI app. And the AI app is going to tell you, don't eat the Snickers bar, eat the celery. Don't eat that caramel-covered apple, eat the real apple that doesn't have the caramel on it. So here's the thing we need to think about. What happens, and this is already happening, by the way, but what happens in, in, in this situation where you have... Your purchases on your credit card monitored. And because you decided to have a pizza night once a week, and maybe you have a lot of family members and you decide to have, you know, people have birthday parties, you have family get together. So you buy a lot of ice cream on your credit card. So you buy a lot of ice cream, you have a pizza night once a week. Because all that information is digitized, insurance companies can look at that and say, well, Mr. Johnson, seeing that you order two large pizzas every Friday night and seeing that you order um, breadsticks with those and you order a Pepsi, a couple Pepsis, and you have um, you know this tendency to have uh, 
uh, large purchases of ice cream. I mean, we've determined that these are unhealthy habits. And therefore, as a result of these unhealthy habits, we're going to increase your insurance rate. Companies have already done that. It's the same thing with like State Farm. If you put this tracking device in your car, we'll give you 10% off on your monthly bill. And the bills are already immensely overpriced to what they charge you for something, a service that they don't even technically provide you every month until you need it. And a lot of times they still screw you over with insurance. So you're paying to have this, this licensure of insurance. And then they say, they say, we'll give you 10% off if you put this black box in your car that tracks everywhere you go. That'll let us know if you're a good driver or not. To me, that crosses a line. And the idea that insurance companies could monitor your purchases and raise your insurance costs because you decided to have pizza night once a week, that's a scary thing. I don't want insurance companies telling me what I can and can't do and what I can and can't eat. And I'm an individual who advocates for a plant-based diet. I don't eat that kind of stuff anyway. Insurance companies would probably like me if I had gotten life insurance. I don't smoke. I don't drink. But it's not about me. It's about the principle of it. And I think that crosses a line. And the idea that artificial intelligence can tell us what to eat and what not to eat, a lot of that's just common sense. The algorithm that tells us that is based on human-conducted research in the first place. In fact, the algorithm was based on research by Aaron Elinov and Aaron Sagal of the Wiseman Institute of Science in Israel, who co-founded the company in 2015. They developed an algorithm to match a diet to an individual's microbiome and metabolism. Now, that sounds like a really great idea. It is a really great idea. Your microbiome is important. That's your second brain in your stomach. There's a gut-brain relationship, no doubt about it. But is this information that the app is telling us, go with the apple, not with the Snickers, really that revolutionary? Is it really that technologically advanced? People might also follow this because it is AI. So if, you know, you hear some radio guy on late night radio or you read a read a book and doctors saying, hey, you should eat more fruit, eat more vegetables. And I'm saying, hey, eat more fruit, eat more vegetables. And I don't want to listen to the, the experts and ah, late night radio is just a conspiracy theory. But if the AI tells me to do it, AI is ultimate authority. So, yes, I will listen to the AI and I'll take the apple instead of the Snickers bar. It's just the example I'm, I'm, I'm giving you tonight. I, 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 I don't see anywhere in here where they say the AI is choosing an apple over a Snickers bar, but generally speaking, that's what they're saying. But here's the other danger. Just like insurance companies could charge you more based on your purchases you know, through your credit card and this cashless society that we're moving rapidly into, what happens when, like the, uh, the WIC program in some states in the U.S., if you go to get WIC, and they show you the, the options that you have of what you can purchase with these, they're like food stamps, basically. When I saw these options, before, right, at the time, right around the time my son was born, um, I think earlier I said it was after, after he was born, but it was like just a few weeks before he was born. Um, we went to the WIC office, and we, got, we did sign up for WIC, and we don't need it now, but we signed up at the time, we got WIC, and we didn't, we didn't end up even using it because... The options, which, yes, if you don't have anything, if you're broke, poor, and in poverty, WIC might be able to help. But if you're just on the verge and you just need a little help getting by, 
you know, you might not want to use all the services that Wick offers. The, the point is, it's the principle of, what am I talking about here? Wick gives you the option to choose of uh, choose from like two peanut butters, Skippy and Jif. Obviously, if I'm poor and I'm impoverished, I don't have a choice. I'll eat Skippy or Jif. But the idea is, why is that the only option? Why can't I get another peanut butter? It doesn't just break down to money, per se. It breaks down to the corporate influence that finances, that funds these programs and the individuals who reinforce these programs in government. So Skippy gives some money, and then I got to buy Skippy, and it's subsidized by the government to get us hooked on those products. So yeah, you get government assistance, but you have to buy from these corporations because it's all subsidized, it's all paid for and controlled. That's the danger of governments giving you a universal basic income for COVID or for gas vouchers. You can only use that voucher to buy gas. You can only use this COVID money on a digital ID. That was proposed initially, and then they, they, they walked it back, and then they just deposited it in your bank account. But think about that, whether it's something you consume that's an electronic in a piece of food, whether it's microscopic or nano-sized, or it's AI telling us what we should eat, or it's insurance companies watching what we eat and then charging us more based on our, our, our decisions, our, our health, um, uh, overall health, and, and, and the state of um, our health as a, as a matter of whether they're going to give us, you know, a, a lower, higher uh, cost, which, you know, they'll ask you, you know, if you get life insurance, do you smoke, do you drink? No, but we're talking about getting into the private life of the individual now. Is that okay? Is that acceptable? To me, edible electronics that monitor my intestines, that monitor my stomach, that monitor my organs like smart dust or neural dust from UC Berkeley is unacceptable, especially when I don't have a choice and you spray that crap in the air, unacceptable. I don't buy it. I don't care how safe it is. I don't care how beneficial it is. I have a moral, philosophical, and religious issue with that. Can AI help us with nutrition? Sure, but also common sense can help us with nutrition. You should not be eating a bag of Skittles thinking that's your best option when other options, I mean, hell, if you're going to eat a bag of Skittles, the better option might be to eat a protein bar. It's going to be a lot better than all those food colorings and those food dyes in it. But what is better? What is best? Are we going to let the AI decide that? Are we going to decide that? Do we need the AI to decide that for us? Is the apple or the peanut butter cup better for us? But you could also have a peanut butter cup if you eat the peanut butter cup that you make at home as opposed to buying one at the store. That one might actually be better for you than the other peanut butter cup. There isn't a way to, in a utopian sense, find an absolute 100% way of doing anything. The AI isn't going to save you. If anything, it will make us and is making us far less human. And I do not believe that this is a direct result of what we consider to be human evolution. I think it is a nudged form of progress ushering us into a controlled synthetic system. Some of these developments are certainly natural, but people have learned that you can exploit these natural developments to control people better. In 2017, the FDA approved a pill with a sensor that digitally tracks patients 
when they ingest their medication, site has an ingestible sensor embedded in a pill that records that the medication has been taken. They're saying they want to use the pill for schizophrenia. The sensor technology and the patch, because it transmits a signal to a patch, are made by a company called Proteus Digital Health. The FDA approved that in 2017. The FDA also has on their website, uh, it's updated as of 2022, uh, their nanotechnology programs. And uh, the idea that nanotechnology could be utilized in food as edible electronics or even in vaccines or in uh, other forms of hospital procedures to repair cells on a cellular level, to get into the bloodstream and to just act as these little robots that take out cancer cells and repair things that get damaged. I mean, obviously, there are downsides to this as there are upsides. Personally, I don't want this stuff in my body. That's a choice that I'm making. But if you don't want it in your body, which a lot of people don't want it in their body, if they're even aware of this, this kind of technology, maybe they'll take it on their body. Brain prints may someday replace fingerprints and passwords, according to an article from Mysterious Universe. The system is called Brain Print. It uses an EEG, an electron encephalogram, a cap, that reads brain responses to stimuli. And that brain response that you have becomes your new password, your electronic tag, your digital identity, your fingerprint. Companies like Motorola have also unveiled electronic tattoos. And the same company, Proteus Digital Health, that I just mentioned a moment ago, they have an authentication pill you can swallow to log into your devices. Another company called MC10 from Massachusetts developed tattoos called BioStamps that contain flexible electronic circuits. In 2013, The Telegraph reported Google, Motorola's tattoos could replace passwords. The article explains that the technology aims to remove the need to enter passwords and replace them simply with a phone being closer to a user's body. So you always have to have your phone. Just like in Australia, you got to have your phone in some places and make sure you check in with the government or you could be in trouble. Another 2013 article in Bloomberg suggested that biostamps could be used for monitoring the body for medical diagnostics. That's what the edible electronics are all about. If you don't want them in your body, they'll put it on your body first. And then the biostamps will act as patches to transmit data from the patch to a phone, through a cell tower, to a phone, to a to a, an email, etc. So it'll come from inside your body to the patch and then be transmitted elsewhere. You, so, so you see what has been done here. Edible electronics. And the FDA approved the pill with a sensor. The sensor is uh, Proteus Digital Health. And basically the sensor from the pill transmits from inside the body to a wearable patch. These things are not separate. When they're developing biostamps and patches, what's happening here is they're preparing you to have that biostamp or that patch because what's going to be put in the body is going to transmit from the body to the patch, then to a cell tower, then to a cell phone, or to an email, internet, etc., etc., etc. We know about the 
patches that the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation funded that keep track of a child's immunization records, and it also allows for access under the skin with these micro needles. It's kind of like a, I think it's like a dye, and then you can scan it with an app. So it's basically a barcode for children with their vaccine records on it. Bill, Bill and Melinda Gates, Bill Gates in particular, requested that directly from MIT for them to develop that for kids. In 2016, a study published by Engadget it explains the contents of a new report from Scientific Reports, a publication in Scientific Reports. The publication begins with an expression of how fun these devices are for people. They've been made trendy and popular, so they're fun to use. No logical reason to use them, they're just fun. Wired electronic temporary tattoos may have started off as fun novelties, but a new type of stick-on nanotech tattoo has already found some practical medical applications. No, they're never fun. They're always meant for something else. And then when they're acknowledged to exist, it's just for fun. Then, oh, we found medical ways to use them. And then when you accept that and you put it on your skin, well, we now have these technologies we can put in your body. You can eat them with your food. We can spray it in the air. And then that'll communicate to the patch. And then that'll tell us if you took your pill. That'll tell us what is in your body. Maybe you're going to be sick. So we could come to your house and make sure we detain you and put you in quarantine. Professor Yale Hanian summed up this whole idea of cyber technology saying that it's basically just Stick it on and forget about it, like those old commercials. Set it and forget it. And now with the FDA approving a couple of years ago the authentication pill, the FDA approves pill with sensor that digitally tracks if patients have ingested their medicine, we enter a dangerous, dangerous paradigm. Can we trust AI to tell us what is good for us? Can we trust the algorithm? Can we trust that companies aren't going to alter the algorithm so the AI suggests to purchase their products? Can we trust our information digitally available to insurance companies that charge us more because we decided to go out to eat two times last week? Can we trust that things put in our body that are considered edible electronics are going to only be used to monitor our gastrointestinal tract? Or could it be like smart dust, which they never mention in articles like this, that literally tracks your bodily motions, your organs, it attaches to the organs, and it transmits that signal to those who are listening. Can we actually trust and believe that that's all it's going to be used for? Look at those robot dogs. They're going to be used for disaster. And within a couple of years, they're being used on military bases, they're being used at the border, and they're being used by police departments. And when I said that, clearly, that's what they're building them for, from ghost robotics to Boston Dynamics, it's like, no, that's a conspiracy. But now they're being used by law enforcement. And that's the thing that gets me. It's like, maybe there's a benefit to all this. Maybe it's all fantastic and there's nothing to worry about. But here's the problem. Why the deception? Is it because people are just scared, so they have to deny it? And then when they acknowledge it, they're like, well, it's only being used for this. Okay, well, now it's being used for this. Okay, well, now it's being used for this. Now it's being used for this. Now it's being used. And before you know it, it's being used to make sure that you don't leave your home. It's being used to make sure that you eat what you're told to eat when you're told to eat it. We have so much food on this planet, ladies and gentlemen. We throw out 40% of it in most Western societies. We have so much food on this planet. We have more obese people than people that are starving to death. 
And we're being told that the solution to this is eating insects. You'll have to eat edible electronics to track the things in your body to prevent disease and make sure that you're getting the proper nutrition. We have all this food in the world today. So many obese people, so many people that are gorging themselves and violating one of the seven sins. I'm guilty of it a lot of the time. And we still throw out 40% of the food and we're still mostly malnourished. We still don't get enough fiber. So how are these things going to help fix these problems? These problems are not technological fixes that can be force-fixed. They're problems of choice and lifestyle. Problems of distribution and management, from water to food to whatever. But the last thing I think is, what happens if our very genetic code can be altered so when you consume a product, it's not that the GM product changes your DNA, It's that when you consume a product, it is engineered to be, well, we can create ethnic and racially specific weapons that target genes. What if you could create a gene activator, turn off a gene in the body? You could create a a system in the body genetically where you, if you don't have that gene switched on or that gene switched off, you cannot properly digest and absorb the food. This is a very dangerous thing when we think about these new technologies, not just turning off like Apple Pay and Spotify and Netflix to Russians. You heard about that? Just turn it off. Like cryptocurrency, right? All digital, a cashless society. And they've tricked a lot of people into believing that's the next step. Part of the universal basic income in a cashless society credits in a social credit system. It could just be turned off. What happens if food can just be turned off? It's robot for thought. You are what you beep. I'm Ryan Gable. This is The Secret Teachings. Tomorrow night, Don Lester and David Parker join us on the show. I was going to do the Heaven's Gate show. I said it earlier, but we're going to do Don Lester and David Parker tomorrow. Heaven's Gate, the show will be on Monday of next week. We have a lot of good stuff coming up next week, so stay tuned to The Secret Teachings. Leave us a review on the podcast radio players. Give us some stars, whatever you think we deserve. Check us out on Patreon. Grab one of our t-shirts on TeePublic. And subscribe to the archive to get access to ad-free downloads and streams of The Secret Teachings at thesecretteachings.info. Stay safe, stay informed, stay healthy, and we will talk to you on the next broadcast rdgable at yahoo.com if you want to contact us. The music is from White Bat Audio. Stay tuned to the Fringe FM.